The following is a sermon from the Vicar at Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. I wonder just how close Peter was to leaving it all. Like, like taking a few steps back, turning around, and never looking back. I mean, here was Peter just trying to be a good friend to Jesus, trying to help him, and then you know what happens. And it would have been bad enough if, if Jesus would have just said it to Peter face to face, man to man, but he didn't even do that. He turned and looked at all of his disciples so that they would see what he said to Peter. Satan, get behind me, Satan. I can't imagine Peter wanting to do anything else but running, finding a pillow, and crying. But Jesus didn't give him this concession either. Jesus, right after this, calls out to the crowd, everyone around and brings them in, brings them in so that they hear a message. A message that basically says, never, never do something so stupid like Peter just did. Today we're looking at a scary Jesus. We're looking at a mean Jesus. But he's not being mean for no reason. He's doing it so that Peter and you and I learn one thing this morning. One thing. And if we get that, all of that is totally worth it. I got to imagine one of the worst things for Peter of this whole situation is just how good things were right before this. Like Peter and Jesus were on great terms. You think about Peter and all of the things he just saw. He saw Jesus healing people. He saw them walking on waves and feeding thousands with just a few pieces of bread and fish. You know, Peter had seen all these miracles, but it wasn't just what he had seen. It's also what he heard. Jesus' words of authority. And then you think about the relationship in between Peter and Jesus. I mean, this was the high point of their friendship. This was, this was it right here at the beginning of our text. We hear Peter confess a big confession because Jesus was asking, you know, who, do the, who do the people say I am? And the disciples say, well, some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And then Jesus says, but... You, my disciples, who do you say I am? And there was silence. Until Peter was the one to stand up and say, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. This was a huge confession. Everyone else was getting it wrong, but Peter had it. Such a big confession, Peter got a new name. He was Simon. Now it's Peter, meaning rock, because his confession was so solid. Things were so good for Peter. But it doesn't take too long for us to realize that although Peter had that great confession, 
He only understood the half of it. He only understood the half of what it meant that Jesus was the Christ. He only understood the half of it. And maybe we have the first evidence of this in verse 30. It says, Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. So Peter had this great confession, and then Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And then right after that, in verse 31, the next words, he, Jesus, then began to teach them. The exact same things that Peter was not supposed to say, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Why would Jesus tell Peter and his disciples not to tell anyone about Peter's great confession, and then immediately go on to teach them that he was the Christ to everyone. And why did Jesus, after every miracle, tell them not to tell anyone what he had done? Well, the answer is pretty sad. And it's that he knew that, that Peter and you and I would only understand the half of it. We'd only understand half of what it meant that Jesus must be Christ for us. And so Jesus had to teach them wholly what it meant that he had to be Christ. So Jesus had to teach Peter what this meant. So he began to teach them, I must suffer, I must die, I must be rejected by the elders. And Peter's listening to this, suffer, die, what are you talking about, Jesus? He thinks he's crazy. So he brings him off to the side and basically says, but Jesus, you don't understand. You're the Christ. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. And those are the most satanic words ever spoken. Most satanic words ever spoken. Can you imagine if Jesus didn't suffer? If he didn't die? what that would mean for you and for me and the whole world. Jesus had to teach Peter that he must be the Christ. So he started to teach him. And he basically said, no, Peter, you don't understand. I'm the Christ, which means I must suffer. I must be rejected. I must die for you. And that was the lesson that Jesus thought was so important that he did that to Peter, that he embarrassed him like that. I mean, Jesus thought this lesson was so important that he embarrassed him in front of all the disciples, in front of all the crowd. And then let's not just talk about the moment. Let's talk about now, thousands of years later, how we're still remembering this super embarrassing moment for Peter. Jesus embarrassed Peter so that he and us would get one message. That he must be the Christ. 
And I'm going to ask you this morning, was it worth it? Was it worth it what Jesus did to Peter? I mean, do you understand what that means? That Jesus must be the Christ for you? Or are you understanding the half of it? I want to focus on, on one word here. And it's, it's the word must. And it's in, it's in verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and must be killed, and after three days, must rise again. Do you understand what it means that Jesus must be the Christ for you? Or are we seeing half of our sin? When you look at at your sin, the smallest little one of your sins that you think is not important, do you see that as, as a nail in Jesus' hand? When you take a look at that, that sin that's become your favorite pet sin, do you see that as, as a crown of thorns around Jesus' head? Because that's really, that's really what, it, what it is. And if you're thinking about just the earthly things, if you're just thinking, well, this sin doesn't really hurt anybody, no one really knows about my sin, then you're seeing half of it. You're seeing the earthly things. Because our sin, even, even the smallest one of our sins, made it that Jesus had to die for you. For one of your sins. That's how serious our sin is to God. So let's not, let's not minimize our own sin. But I want to focus us back on that one word, must. That he must suffer. He must be rejected. He must die for you. And I want to say that as guilty as that one word can make us feel, there is so much more joy in that word must. Because that word must carries the entire gospel of Jesus Christ for us. That Jesus must die for us. Because I'm going to tell you one thing. Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus didn't have to die for us. It's not like we're, it's not like we're feeding God. It's not like we're that good of a friend to Jesus that he couldn't live without us. But still, Mark says, the Son of Man must die. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you that he just has to. That he just must die for you. It's like the, the love of a mom who just has to take care of her newborn, or, or the love of a spouse that just has to protect a wife. That's how much God loves you, that he just must take care of you. He must die for you because he loves you that much. And so that's the one thing Jesus wanted to teach you this morning. He loves you that much that he must be the Christ 
for you. I want to take a few moments and just take a step back from that one truth that Jesus must be the Christ for our sin and also because he loves us that much. And just think about what that means for our lives, how that changes our lives. And I'm going to talk about it in three, three different ways that changes it. The first way is we're going to stop being saying to each other. We're going to stop minimizing sin. When someone tells us about something sin, we're not a sin, we're not just going to push it away and say it didn't matter, but what we're going to do is we're going to show them the cross. And we're going to show ourselves the cross. We're not going to minimize sin. Secondly, what it means that Jesus must be the Christ and how that changes our lives. If Jesus thought that this message was so important to do that to Peter, to embarrass him like that, don't you think this is an important message to teach to others? Especially our kids? Like, this is such an important message, and our kids need to know them as Jesus, as their, as their Messiah for their sins, and also because he loves them that much. And praise God, we have this opportunity today with Rally Sunday to get this kicked off again, where we have an opportunity for them to start Bible Club again and catechism and all these things. So we, we praise God and we ask his blessings on that. The third reflection I want to make on that Jesus must be the Christ for us is this. In the same way that Jesus must die for us because he loves us that much, is the same way we must die for Jesus. But don't take my words for it. Take... Take them from Jesus' mouth. Verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. How to love for Jesus. Let go of whatever's taken you away from Christ. Let go of that temptation let go of your own ambitions. Let go of your career if it's taken you away from Christ. You have to. You must. But I'm not speaking out of obligation. I'm not speaking from the law. I'm speaking because you love Jesus that much that you must. Because Jesus loved you that much. That he decided that he must die for you. Praise God. Jesus taught Peter and us that lesson.